big good morning. <laughs> Wonderful to have you folks here. For those of you who aren't aware with New Church Live, like we do have a live studio audience here that's who you hear shouting out there. So we want to welcome them. We want to welcome all of you as well who are watching us online, many of whom will be watching us later in the week or later in the day. It's wonderful to have you here. And just so you know, if you're ever in town, you're more than welcome to join our studio audience here. And today, once a month, we do this thing called Lunch with the Pastor, where we go out afterwards, we eat. You're more than welcome to join us. You can see details out there in the lobby if that interests you. So, so today's going to be a fun service. And it's, it's looking at, a, at an interesting concept, right? The idea that creation never ends. Why would we look at that? Like, what's the significance there? Well, it goes back to this. Curtis Childs, our executive director, and I were talking. We were, we were talking about church and how church works, and, and, and we get to work with a lot of different people. And, and somebody had asked, well, if you were to share what you think are the five most important things about new church theology, five most significant things, what would they be? So Curtis and I came up with a list, and this was one that's near and dear to my heart. The idea that creation never ends. That idea that, that we're in life, we're in process, life is moving, it's going forward. And I think that's really significant because I know a lot of the time when I really struggle, I hit a point, and I imagine you've hit this point many times in your life too, where you're like, it's all over. It's all done. You know, <laughs> I mean, from silly little things to big things, a fender bender in a car will instantly think, that's it. Life is over. Anybody else have those experiences? Yes, I imagine many of you do. And so it's important to know that, yeah, when that comes up and, and you think about where that puts us, like just play with me here for a minute here, where that puts us, when we step into a place where we really believe there's finality, like it's all over, where does that kind of leave us? It doesn't leave us in a good place most of the time. So we have to back out of that and start to see a bigger picture. Now, today is not going to relieve any of us of the feeling of it's all over. <laughs> you know, I mean, those feelings come, those feelings go. But are there different ways where we can hold it to maybe just find a little bit more peace, a little bit more relief? Folks, when we do that, when we do that, we start to understand that there's always the opportunity for growth. Now, some of those opportunities are hard. Most of those opportunities aren't necessarily even changing. Like the opportunities for growth, I think a lot of the time is kind of we jump in the deep end of the pool and there's the opportunity to learn to swim. <laughs> and yet those can be some of the most transformative times of our life. Isn't that interesting? They can change us in just incredible ways and in powerful ways that will be with us forever. And we see a shift away from a very self-centered way of seeing the world to a very open and surrendered way of seeing the world. Now I want to talk about that for a second. As many of you know, I'm a big fan of Father Gregory Boyle. And looking back through, through notes about him, he works out in San Diego. He works with gang intervention. One of his favorite quotes that I share a lot, and those of you who've been coming here for years have heard me say this, but we get a lot of new people on any given week, and I want to share skin because it's so big. Father Greg said, yeah with his work with gang members, with his work with a lot of really hard stuff, he realized that life needed to change. And this is how she changed, down to one, to one sentence, but, but slightly different connotations, said two different ways. 
He said he goes into life and it's, it's all like, now hear this. Now hear this. Sort of these proclamations from the mountaintop. Now hear this. Where he gets to be like the Wizard of Oz, the guy behind the curtain. But that's not how life really works, right? We usher those commands to life and very rarely does life respond in the ways our ego might want it to. So he said there was a shift. And listen to this, folks. It's so beautiful. He said his life shifted from now, hear this, to now, hear, H-E-R-E, this. Now, hear, this. And that shifted his life, that shifted his ministry. That, just that basic concept of like, oh yeah, now hear this. So if you're tuning in, no doubt some of you are tuning in and you're thinking, yeah, I've just hit something and I feel like life is over. It's done. Can you even sit just for the next hour with now hear this? Just, just, sit, just sit with us for an hour. So we talk about maybe a different way to hold it. A way that I, I certainly hope and that we certainly hope just gives you a little breath. And what's the name of that breath? Hope. Can you just feel that a little bit today? Now to get set up at New Church Live, for those of you who haven't been here before, we do a fair amount of texting in church, which is, which is certainly fun to do. And, and our text question for today that you're welcome to, to shoot me in an answer to over the, the course of the service, we'll be looking at it in the second half, is, is this picture. This is from the new James Webb, the new James Webb Micros, uh, telescope. And I was reading up on it. It was really fascinating. So, so this is a picture. What they said, this is a picture. If you picked up a grain of sand and you held that grain of sand up there at arm's length and you just peered into that, this is what the James Webb Telescope said you would see. You know, just incredible, amazingly beautiful. This little, this little tiny thing that we couldn't even see. We couldn't, we couldn't even see, but this telescope allows us to just see through something that's pretty much invisible. To see not just a world, but to see worlds. So I want to put a question out there to you. What do you, what do you think when you see a picture like that? What do you see? And then when we come back after this beautiful first song, is what does it look like when we start to turn our face and to see things a little bit differently? Because so much of the spiritual life comes down to this. The art of seeing. So, thank you for being here. It's going to be a wonderful time we get to spend together, looking at this together, trying to see different ways we can picture it, different ways we can understand revelation above and revelation below, and try to move past that, that sinking feeling that it's all over. Good morning. We're going to begin with an original song. Turn your face to the sun.
Turn your face to the sun and the shadows fall behind you. You're not the only one who thinks of all the time you've been lost and then refound again. So inhale, then exhale again. Turn your face to the sun and the shadows fall behind you. What we see mainly depends on what we look for. I'm completely free to become who I need to be. I'm not afraid of storms, for I am learning how to sail my ship. Oh, learning how to sail my ship. that idea of like learning how to sail our ships right because I'm pretty sure there should not be storms and yet there are and how do we learn how to sail through those and today we're going to be touching on pieces of that because we're going to find ourselves in, in many different places in life I think we all know that a beautiful quote from Psalm 139 if I go to the heavens you God are there if I make my bed in the depths you are there also and I think that that really is true right? That, that God's kind of with it all. And folks, got a bunch of beautiful answers that you shared. And, and, you know, just continue texting throughout the service. It's really interesting hearing what a little picture like that, what it tells us, what it tells us about life and our place in it, what it tells us about how to sail our ship, what it tells us about how to face life on life's terms. Now, it's interesting, again, a, a quote that you will definitely hear if you hang out in Christian New Church circles a lot is this famous quote from Emmanuel Swinborg. The quote is, maintenance is perpetual creation. So that for anything, even to stay the same, it must be constantly changing. Now, it's interesting to do that. And, and you think about our lives and we think, well, our, our lives, you know, do they, do they change that much? And the fact is they do. 
And yet, change can be an incredibly intimidating, scary thing. We see it, folks, with our bodies. Here's a, here's a quote for you. According to biologists Ron Sender and Ron Milo of the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel, your body replaces around 330 billion cells per day. For those of you who don't know how many that equals, it equals a lot. At that rate, your body is making 3.8 million new cells every second. So you ready for this? Quick count, 1,001. So you just counted to 3.8 million. I mean, think about that, right? Your body does not stay the same. Your body is constantly changing. So we see that with bodies. We see that with relationships as well. It's interesting getting married, you know, that age old saying people get married and they think their partner will never change and then they do. And, and that's where sort of pastors come in and Chuck, he's changed or she's changed. And it's like, yeah, that's the way life works. We do go through those changes. We go through those shifts all the time. As I remind couples, and it's a beautiful quote, and I've said it here, you know, and, and marriages, like not all marriages last. I get that. Divorce is part of life. I get that. And the hope with newlywed couples is that they're going to be married four or five times, hopefully all to the same person. You know, that idea that, that relationships grow and relationships shift. And then this idea as well, folks, I love this, this, this kid's view of super God. You know, our view of God changes. You know, that idea, I, I love the, the super God image there. And, and, and I imagine for a lot of us, we, we have a time of that where, where we have this initial view of God and it's super God. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's so important. It's great to have that image of God. It's important. And we, I think we hold on to pieces of that our whole lives. And then maybe if we do this spiritual journey as best we can, we'll start to see God not just in the highs, but we'll start to see God especially in the lows, in suffering, in struggle, in worry, in concern. We see God there, and that's, that's why I think the Easter story, you know, I, I would imagine for some people the Easter story starts to mean a whole lot more than Christmas as they get older. And here's a piece of Christian New Church theology as well that, that talks to how even heaven changes. Those who know how to share love. That's a beautiful qualifier. Not who are the most brilliant, who know the most, any of that. It's just if you know how to share love, and there's no doubt in my mind, everyone listening to this does know that. Everyone who knows how to share love are constantly advancing into the springtime of youth in heaven. The more millennia, and that means thousands of years, the more thousands of years they live, the more joyful and happy that springtime is. Their progress continues forever. It's never-ending increase determined by the development and growth and the capacity of sharing love in charity and in faith. Beautiful, beautiful concepts there. Folks, it's... it's it's a line, and, and this is a great one to take on your phone because I think, I, think it's, I think it's such an important reminder. From a Christian New Church perspective, 
the furthest we can get at any stage in our life. Please let this resonate like down to your soul. And I use this quote a lot. It's so important to me personally. The furthest we can get at any stage in our life is a seed for the next. Think about that. It's always a seed. There's always something that the Lord is planting and growing. Now, a lot of the time, we can't see that. It's like a little grain of sand held out at arm's length. We can barely even see the grain of sand, much less, much less the universe that's contained within it. But that's what I think faith, a big part of faith is, is knowing, yeah, it's a grain of sand. I don't see it all. I don't need to see it all. I just need to get that there's a seed here. Not even sure what it looks like. But there's a seed here and that that's going to be able to move forward and, and actually give birth to something in life. The question becomes, folks, why can't we embrace change then given all these givens? Like we know change. We know change is inevitable. We know change is coming. We know it's part of life from our bodies to our relationships to our faith to our experience when we die in heaven, we know change is just what it's gonna be about. Now, of course, there's knowns within that, right? There's a core, and that core that in most, I don't think changes because that's, that's where our love really resides. That love is a constant. But outside of that, there's all kinds of changes that are gonna happen. So why is it, you know, do you think we have such a hard time with that? Why do we struggle with change? Why is change so scary? I mean, just imagine, you know, we held life and we were able to say like, okay, what's the challenge now? And we were, we were able to really live that constantly. That's not the game I play. You know, I want it to be far more about the knowns, far more about comfort and safety. Here's some thoughts that I, that I wanted to share on that, maybe answering this question, why can't we embrace change then given all these given, givens? We live in a world of perpetual creation, yet we crave security, stability, predictability, and constancy. And maybe you don't, so you just want to read like, and Chuck craves <laughs> security, stability, predictability, constancy. In other words, we overvalue comfort, the comfort of knowns versus the discomfort of exploration. I think that's really true. There was an interesting, I was listening to, a, to an author on a, on a podcast and he said, you know, to celebrate what's called the year of Jubilee, it's a lot of theology around that, but he literally tries to do it. So he works in seven year segments. So he'll work and then he'll take a year off and get a new job. Now I don't necessarily advise that. Please don't try that at home as they would say. But it is an interesting perspective, right? Because he wants to constantly be looking at where God's calling him. And he knows he needs to stop doing what he was doing to discover what God would like him to do. Security or exploration. And he's got to choose that exploration. I, I, I love, again, you know, the, Helen Keller's words, security is mostly a superstition. And we never really have it the way we might like it. So what does the Bible have to tell us about this? Well, I want to give you a concept here that I always found funny as a little kid. And as an adult, I think it really, really makes a lot of sense. A stiff-necked people. I think the, one of the biggest challenges is that we are stiff-necked. 
And, and just a little aside before going over the passage in depth, you know, when we did our little kids talk this morning, you know, I talked to the kids about like, yeah, think of yourself being stiff-necked, right? And probably all of us have had a day where we ended up with like a crick in our neck or something, and we can't turn our neck. And, and this is, those things are givens in life. But this is about a stiff neck where we just can't see anything else but, uh, but like right in, what is right in front of us, where we have real tunnel vision. Now, sometimes that tunnel vision can be a good thing. The example I used with, with talking to the kids was the idea that, that people go out and they love being birders, right? We'll say be birders or somebody who really likes to, to look up flowers. Well, that's sort of a tunnel vision of sorts. So we go out and we look at the birds, we see the birds, that's beautiful stuff. And we'll see things with that kind of tunnel vision that other people won't. And it's the same with the people who love flowers. But this is where it gets a little tricky. If all we see is the birds, we'll never see the flowers. And if all we see is the flowers, we'll never see the birds. And it's not saying again that that, that kind of focus is a bad thing. That kind of focus is a really good thing. You know, huge percentage of the time. But we need to also have this flexibility. We need to be able, friends, this is the sermon in two words. We need to be able to, two words, look around. To look around. And I think when we get to that point of despair, which we've all been to, of like, it's all over, it's all done. We're so into tunnel vision, it's really hard to look around. So let's step back now into the biblical context in which this is used. So the story is this. The children of Israel have been enslaved. That's an ancient story, thousands of years old, down in Egypt. Moses comes along. He's he's, uh, given the job by God to leave them out, you know, to free my people. That gets celebrated in all kinds of Jewish traditions. So he leads them out, and then they get out, and they're in the middle of the desert, and they're like, ah, Moses, this might not be such a good idea. (laughs) Actually, Egypt's looking pretty good right now. We're out here in the desert. We're cold at night. We're hungry. We're this, we're that, we're the other thing. We're definitely not feeling comfortable or secure. Actually, slavery's looking pretty good. Stiff-necked. Tunnel vision. That tunnel vision even goes so extreme that when when Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, a whole other huge story by itself, he comes back down and they've decided, well, we're not even worshiping God anymore. We're going to worship this golden calf. That's a famous story. And God sort of has had it, you know, and there's an appearance. God never really has has gotten to that point. He's like, that's it. I've had it. God never reaches that kind of finality. Thank goodness. God is forever breaking God's own rules. And, and what happens here, that's where we pick this up. So Moses goes to plead their case. And these, these are the words of Moses here. And Moses hurried and knelt to the ground and bowed before God. And he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, may my Lord go among us. And it's interesting that Moses uses the word us because it is a stiff necked people and forgive our wickedness and sin and take us as your inheritance. It's a beautiful line because we all can be so stiff-necked. We all can find it almost impossible to turn around and see. Our vision becomes myopic and tunnel vision. 
Folks, remember being a teenager? Remember when that girl or that boy at age 15 either broke up with you or said they never wanted to go out with you? How much of life were you sure was over at that moment? The whole thing, right? That's, that's what tunnel vision does. It reaches this finality and, and we not only think, okay, this relationship now has reached a final point. We think all of life, all of life has reached a point of no return. That just isn't how God works. And you know, you have to be really careful because I feel like too, this is a little bit of an aside, a little bit of an aside here. Be careful your faith doesn't become that. Be careful your church, your synagogue, or your mosque doesn't become that. That idea there's a finality because there's not. God is always at work. And things are always changing and always shifting. And it's easy when we get into that moment of, of finality it's easy to pick the wrong solution. This is from H.L. Mencken, and I love this quote. For every complex problem, there is a solution. There is a solution that is clear, simple, and wrong. <laughs> Great idea, right? That is clear, simple, and wrong. We get panicked, so we make a decision in a rash way, and that decision is clear. That decision is simple. And that decision is wrong. I can remember once in our life, we, we had a little cabin and it had a goofy story, but it had a, had a big problem with its, with its structure, you know? And, and instead of getting it fixed, I was so panicked, I couldn't sell it fast enough because I was so worried. I just wanted to be out of that pain. I think that's what he's talking about. So life is not about yielding to these kind of quick solutions. It's, it's about something bigger. So what do we do in lives that will change? What do we do about that? Well, I would offer this, folks, in terms of what we do about that. I think we have to be open to revelation both from above and from below. From above and from below. So, so we step out into life, and instead of being stiff-necked, instead of tunnel vision. We start to see life in the round, which takes work. Nothing easy about that. Now, what would, what would revelation from above look like? Well, we've got a lot of great answers here. I'll read some of them. I see a world beyond this earth, other dimensions of time that give me faith. There is life after death. A picture like that, each moment, folks, just listen to this. Folks know so much. A picture like that, each moment in life has infinite complexity, no matter how mundane it might seem. I see anything is possible. The vastness is incomprehensible. Since I am in church with not enough time to say it all, I'll just say in the beginning was the word that says it all. With how vast the universe is, is there another me sending another you this exact text this moment? That's good. This photo makes me think if a small and simple grain of sand can be that beautiful from a different perspective, what else are we missing without taking a closer, different view? Perhaps we aren't seeing ourselves, our loved ones, our relationships with God accurately. Amen to that. 
God and the big picture are truly beyond our imagination. Folks, those, that's the idea of revelation from above. And, and that's accessible to us at all times, right? So, so you just think of a moment like that and we can sit in that moment and we can, we can start to see a vastness. We can, just, we can do the work to see a vastness that's beyond this tunnel vision. You know, reading through those, and, and you know, we got many more, I'm sure, but, but it reminds me of that, that piece where, where Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, this little tiny bit, feel like it's the same like just if we can understand the beauty in a grain of sand the beauty in a grain of sand or we don't just see it as like a point but we see as we're fond of saying in here a portal something where we can start to see things in all kinds of miraculous ways going out the other end of it now, what about folks, what about, you know, revelation from below? I, I think that revelation from below, that's where God has given us other people. And this one we'll be looking at next week. You know, relationships yield a lot of truth. Relationships yield a lot of truth. When we really believe, when we're really like, it's all over, it's all over. What a lonely place that is. A heartbreakingly lonely place. And what I want to tell you is there are people who are willing to join you in that place. And that's the revelation from below. Where we start to see and understand the miracle that other people can be around us. That God is speaking through them often. And we all know the famous one with, with the flood and God sends the boat and the helicopter and the guy wonders, what did he send? And God's like, well, I sent the boat and the helicopter. Well, let me tell you what God sends the most of. Us. Us. Look at those you love. Look at those who you know care about you. Look at those who you know are willing to sacrifice for you in healthy ways. What do they have to teach you? What's that piece of holding them up and seeing them as a universe filled with all kinds of things that can help you on your journey? You know, it takes a softness to do that. It takes a quiet. It's hard to get there where we're in the panic of it's all over. But I think we need to work that way. I think we need to find that, that middle space. Now, one of the challenges with it, folks, that, that I find so important to put out there, and it's one of the biggest challenges, I think, to church and a spiritual life that we face today, which, which again is, is a little, which again is gonna sound a little crazy, but, but I actually think, you know, the reality is, is that efficiency is one of the biggest problems that we struggle with. We live in a culture where efficiency and comfort have become sort of obsessive desires. How efficient can we be? How much more efficient can we be? How much more efficient can we be? I mean, look at how many useless machines you have in your kitchen to make you more efficient that you'll never use. 
But our lives are just like, they're just efficiency, 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 efficiency. Folks, listen to this. Please let this go to your heart. Please, please let this go to your heart. This is from Andy Crouch. The more efficient we become, the more people disappear. The more efficient we become, the more people we disappear. Think back. Think back, you know, and maybe for a younger audience, this, this might be hard to, to picture. Um, and I, granted, I am being a little nostalgic here, so my apologies for that. Think back to that store you loved to go to as a kid. Because they knew your name. And they knew your family. They may have even known it for generations. For me, that was Shoops in Freeport, Pennsylvania. It was a men's clothing store, even though I was a boy. And, and John Shoop knew my parents. He actually dated my mother for a little bit. You know, actually knew all the family. And, and he would come out with these really cheap plastic rings. We get to pick a ring every time we went in the store. Do you think Shoop still exists? No. Gone long ago. Those kinds of things aren't efficient. And people disappear. So a whole form of revelation goes dark, goes quiet. And that's why I would urge you to think, how can you move beyond efficiency? How can you, how can you make it so that it's not efficient? So actually, it's a bit of a pain. It's actually a bit of an inconvenience. It actually is a little bit challenging. This week, I just, I, I want to I get back to, to connecting with people online and in person in much more real ways. I feel like that's what we're all yearning for. And, and we have to all figure out ways to do that. But it will be uncomfortable. And it certainly won't be efficient. And if we can embrace that, people will stop disappearing. I think that's the world so much that God is calling us to. And then we are truly able to look around in a different way. Folks, as the musicians come out here, what we start to understand is the question of theophany. I heard that yesterday on a podcast. Never heard that before. And theophany isn't theodicy. You know, we're trying to figure out why, where is God and evil in the world? It's, it's moved beyond that to where theophany is just like, how do we see God at work in the world? That's what we want to be. This stiff-necked, life is over as I know it, it's all done, starts to be able very slowly to expand to where we're not stiff-necked. We're able to look around Revelation from above, revelation from below, seeing our fellow human beings, understanding God's work in that all, and somehow that'll make finality seem less final. And what felt like a landslide becomes a very different kind of landslide, a very different way of understanding love in the Lord's divine providence.
Beautiful song and uh, yeah, just I mean, really good stuff, right? When we start to 
Start to think about it with life. And it's, it's fun. I just have to share one with you folks. It's funny when people are, look, I got a lot of text messages backstage, but I want to share one with you that brought a smile. And it's that whole idea of like, when we move away from efficiency, we start to discover other people. And if we're just purely focused on efficiency, rushing through life, people start to disappear. And this one person was talking about their old school dentist. The dentist, when I was young, always wrote a prescription for free ice cream at the drugstore. I want to know that dentist right there. You know, because that's the world. That's the world we want. That's the world that reminds us it's never over. That dentist probably wrote hundreds of prescriptions for ice cream. And probably wrote one to a 14-year-old who thought life was done. And I dare say it made a difference. I think maybe, and this may sound a little strange, I, I think maybe God is saying, yep, you're stiff-necked, but actually I need you to be a new kind of stiff-necked. One of the beautiful parts of being a pastor in the Christian New Church is, is we really believe all other faiths have something to say. We're not the only voice in the choir. It's a choir. And it's beautiful to be able to hear what the other voices have to say. So in getting ready for today's service, I was looking back to what a rabbi, how he taught on this, and it was beautiful. He, he said, yes, may we be stiff-necked in our disobedience. That is true. But more importantly, may we be stiff-necked with our loyalty as well. So yes, he's saying, yep, we were disobedient. There's a stiff-neckedness around that. Say that 10 times fast. But he's saying, that's going to shift into being stiff-necked to our loyalty. And what's it loyal to? To God and each other. It's that simple. That will not always be efficient. But what it is able to do is to accept life on life's terms. It moves us away from this perspective of if life went this way, then it would all be okay. That's so much conditional love that gets into what we're gonna be talking about in the next couple was those if-then statements that we make all the time, that we set up life to be if-then equations all the time. And much more into as Father Gregory Boyle said, now, here, this. That's where we might be able to start to behold that little grain of sand that holds a universe, that holds hope, that reminds us there's a bigger picture that we can't even imagine a lot of it's hidden, but it's there and it's working and it's working for your benefit. I mean, just that simple idea of divine providence, that divine providence's sole goal is pulling people to heaven. And there is no opposite force. Yeah, there are forces that degrade the human experience. Those are evil, very true. But the greatest force of all is this force of divine providence that's pulling us all to good. Stirring the best intentions of our hearts, 
reminding us, folks, it ain't over. It never will be. Why? Because love never ends. Because love never ends. Amen. What we're going to do now, folks, is now I'm going to offer a prayer. Then we'll say the Lord's Prayer. You're welcome to listen to that. And then at the end, we'll do a little blessing as we go into our, to our final song. So please join me in a prayer. Lord, we stand here as a stiff-necked people. All of us. Those places where we have tunnel vision, those places where we struggle to see in the round. Lord, help us to see more widely. Help us to see more broadly. Help us to see birds and flowers. Help us to see blessings. Help us to see breakings. Help us to remember now, here, this. Help us to look, Lord, not by taking a journey to some place where we believe the vista will all be clear, but to travel to a place that is right here, literally stepping into our lives as they are, seeing what unfolds right here, right now. Help us to live that. Here comes the sun. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, bring you peace, and bring you home. Amen.